pursuing the truth, living in love. Veritas is a grassroots network of Catholic young adults growing together in Christ. For more information or to see a schedule of Veritas events, visit catholicveritas.com. That's catholicveritas.com. Today's podcast features a homily by Father Cassian DeRocco. After having served as a school psychologist on the West and East Coasts, he had discerned a calling to the Holy Priesthood. His priestly studies were completed in Rome, where he obtained a doctoral degree in theology from the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and the Family. He is currently ministering at St. Stephen the First Martyr Parish in Sacramento, California, an apostolate of the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. This episode is Father Cassian's Holy Thursday homily on the most blessed sacrament and the holy priesthood. Along with Father Cassian, we'd like to wish you and your loved ones a happy and glorious Easter. God bless. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We've heard it said that good things happen in threes. Some say that this is just a matter of superstition, but I think that if we look at the world around us, both at the natural level and at the supernatural level, we'll see that this is not a superstition, but it is inscribed into creation by God the Father. If we simply look at the created order, we see the best things in life coming in sets of threes. First of all, if we were to look out at the world around us, we would see the elements of earth, sea, and sky. Three distinct components, one beautiful reality. If we look at the social order, we see that the life of man is predicated upon the communion of love of the family, a father, a mother, a child. Three distinct persons, one beautiful reality. Each of those persons, in fact, is a kind of tripartite creation by God, body, soul, and spirit. Three distinct realities, one unique whole. Now, if that's what the natural world tells us, what does faith tell us? Well, our faith is predicated upon a triune mystery, the mystery of all mysteries in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, one divine nature. From God, we have in the midst the second person of the Trinity, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even Christ's life is divided into threes. He lived 33 years, those years being divided up into three distinct parts. 30 years hidden in Nazareth. Three years teaching publicly. Three hours redeeming on the cross. The person of Christ brings us to what we begin tonight, another triune reality in the sacred triduum. Three beautiful days, one great reality. Jesus' gift of self, which we commemorate tonight. His love unto death, which we commemorate tomorrow. His rising to new life on Easter Sunday. 
three distinct realities, one mighty gift. But it doesn't end there. Tonight is also a distinct reality of three. Tonight we commemorate not one, but three institutions, or actually three distinct refractions of one beautiful ray of light. The institution of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the institution of the Most Blessed Sacrament of the Altar, and the institution of the Holy Priesthood. All of this is centered on what has been called the greatest love story ever told, made known in the space of a tiny white host, the Sacred Eucharist. The Eucharist itself is a threefold sacrament, a sacrament of sacrifice, a sacrament of communion, and a sacrament of presence. When each priest of Jesus Christ looks upon the Eucharist, he sees there the source and the center of his life and the story of his vocation. Tonight has been called for many, many centuries the Natalis Kalichis, the birth of the chalice. But each priest can take tonight as another kind of Natalis and say this is Natalis Meus. This is the night of my birth. Now, of course, each and every one, when we were conceived in our mother's womb, was conceived with the gift of our vocation already intact in potency. If this is the truth for all baptized Christians who are called into being so that they can attain to the wonders of the supernatural life, how much truer is it for every priest of Jesus Christ? The Natalis Kalichis is the Natalis Meus. The birth of the chalice is my birth and all of our birth as priests. We turn first to the Eucharist as the sacrament of sacrifice to understand this call to love. Every single vocation is a call to love, but not just any kind of love and not love on automatic pilot. The Eucharist is a sacrifice because Christ said yes, not because he had to, but because he chose to in the Father's preeminent plan of life. Each priest is a priest, not because we must be, but because we want to be. This is the mystery of dilexio, a love of choice. On the night of the Last Supper, when Jesus anticipates the sacrifice of Good Friday, he looks into the eyes of each and every single one of his apostles. He looks at Peter. He looks into Peter. He looks at James. He looks into James. He looks at John and Philip and Andrew, and yes, even at Judas, not only looking at them, but looking into them. When he looks into them, he sees the story of a life, each man with a unique familial history and a unique destiny, all with a role to play in salvation history. But when Jesus looks at his first priests, his apostles, he sees not only them. He sees every priest that he would call into being, both in the apostolic age, in the life of the church to follow, and in each particular church. He saw each priest that has served so faithfully, radically, and sacrificially here at St. Stephen's. He saw the four of us who serve here now. He sees all of our successors in the life of this parish and in the life of the church. 
and he looks upon us with love. At the moment of the institution of the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Mass, and the Holy Priesthood, this tripartite reality, Jesus called each of us to love you, to serve you. In each great vocational call that we see in sacred scriptures, again, we do not see a kind of predestination as if the person involved had no choice. Abraham could have turned to his heavenly father and said, no, I will not sacrifice my son. And even though God held his hand, he chose to say yes. The Blessed Mother, when the angel Gabriel appeared to her, I suppose could have turned and hesitated and debated and said, no, but she said yes. And as Ambrose and Bernard say, the world waited upon that yes. When she brought her son into the world, he was conceived and born in order to die. And so he set the kind of plan of life for every priest who is conceived and born into the world in order to die. The sacrament of sacrifice. And each step along the way that Jesus took on this earth was a step toward Calvary. And at each step along the way, because his human will was perfectly intact, he had a choice to make, a choice of dilexio, a choice of love, which, because the answer was yes, we have life to claim. Our vocation was given at conception, but it was not a foregone conclusion that we would say yes. Some great church doctors tell us that Jesus' hidden life was a life hidden not only from the eyes of men who would be set upon him with evil, and malintent, but also hidden from that satanic intelligent power of the devil. The devil who, when he discovered that the word had been made flesh, stopped at nothing to tempt him and to bring him down. At the miracle of the wedding at Cana, Jesus announced himself as the great bridegroom of the church. We hear in a different gospel that Jesus goes into the desert, led by the Holy Spirit for 40 days to be tempted and to be put to the test. Satan discovers the word made flesh, and he goes to dwell among him. And he tempts him with the prizes of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and Christ says, no, no, no. So that each time he chooses in dilexio, his yes is yes, yes, yes. Each single one of us, conceived and born to be a priest, when our vocation is made known to those satanic intelligent powers, we have both a target on our back and so becoming a walking target because God has chosen us to become walking icons of his love. Heroic virtue? Perhaps, yes, if we live it well. Heroically difficult? Absolutely, yes, because Christ would choose to be communicated to you through us. When a young man apprehends the call to the priesthood, he becomes a walking target. And that walking target also becomes a wonderful opportunity for the enactment of heroic virtue. As temptations increase, so do the opportunities for heroism. And the young man begins to be more inclined to the things not of the world, but of heaven. The things not of the flesh, but of the spirit. He becomes radically attracted through the sacramental beauty of the world to the beauty of the uncreated reality of heaven. 
and he will incline more and more to say yes in his own delexio, a predilective love for God and for souls. When that young man says yes, he begins to read the lives of the saints. He begins to practice mortification. He deepens his interior life. He studies the faith. His hunger, rather than being assuaged and satiated like earthly hunger, increases more and more and more. And he recognizes that his soul is a bottomless thirst for divine love. In the writings of the saints, he will read about the great priests of the world, like St. John Chrysostom, St. Alphonsus the Glory, St. Jean-Marie Vianney, the patron of priests, whom Satan told if there were only three priests like you, my kingdom would be destroyed. The young man becomes motivated in motivations that the world cannot give and could never promise to him. His friends and even his family might say, you're crazy, look at what you're giving up. And he, with gentleness and love, will say, even if not with audible words, get behind me, Satan, because my father has his hand on me. My dear brothers and sisters, God does not deliberate. He simply knows, and he gives us to choose. The choice of the priesthood is a sacrament of sacrifice so that we can become Jesus' offering to the world. The priest then discovers the second aspect of this sacrament, the sacrament of communion. Now, supernaturally, when the Holy Eucharist is given to souls, it meets the hunger that only Christ can fill. We are born as a kind of incarnate thirst, and only the living waters of Jesus will fill us, no matter what our state in life no matter what our vocation. The priest recognizes that the sacrifice of himself must be just like his Lord and Savior and move inward and outward and forward into a communion of love. Now, if in the first instance, the sacrament of sacrifice, we recognize that if a man would make a good fighter, he would make a good priest. It is in the second instance, the sacrament of communion, that the man recognizes if he would be a good husband and a father, he would be a good priest. Because here the sacrifice does not end. If the measure of the sacrifice is the value of what or whom is being given over, then the priest is a great man of sacrifice, giving over the greatest and highest good under his own vocation of marriage and the family that call in which a man and a woman enact something of God's co-creative and procreative love. He says no to this beauty, not as a no in and of itself, but because that no paves the way for a greater yes. As I look out amongst you, I see many couples courting and married. And it's said that you can tell much about a couple in the way that they tell the story of their meeting. Watch their eyes. Watch the way that they look at one another. Watch the love between them grow as they tell the story of way back when, influencing and informing their today. And you can also tell the way that a love moves between them when you separate them and ask them to tell you about the other, the beloved who is not in their midst. The priest is no different because he follows Christ, the bridegroom. He has not, in fact, given up marriage he has simply taken on a new kind of spousal love as he enters into the marriage of the Lamb. If you ask a priest to tell you about his beloved, his heart too might flutter the way that only a man's can, in the presence or the absence of the one that he loves. 
Indeed, we are not always with you, but our bride is present in the souls of each and every single one of you. And I assure you that when we lay our head down on our pillows at night and sleep the sleep that all men sleep, we do think of our bride present in each one of you. We think about many things and the many ways in which our bride communicates herself to us in the souls that we encounter. We might think of her whispering to us in the soft whispers of the confessional as she avows and disavows herself of the sins committed and we whisper to her the sweet words of release that she seeks from us. Ego te absolvo abicatis tuis and our bride walks away free. We might also think of the joy present in the heart and the soul of a bride when we see some of your little ones. When we have a bad day and your children look at us with an innocent smile, having no idea of the cross that we may be carrying, their laughter lightens our heart as a bride lightens the heart of her bridegroom. We feel the angst of the bride in every sick call, walking into a hospital with the sick bag in our hand, and no matter how many times we do this, our heart beats just a little bit faster. In what state will we encounter the bride? Perhaps in a death rattle, perhaps in agony and despair, perhaps dispersed around that room in the tears and the grief of family and friends waiting to say goodbye, but waiting for the words of the priest before they do. We might understand the grief of the bride when we congregate to the graveside of that person whom we have anointed to meet their God. And the last tears that we see are the tears shed upon the casket and into the fertile ground which will receive that body in the hope of the resurrection. We will encounter our bride in great spiritual hunger as we distribute Holy Communion here at this rail. And she so innocently and trustingly closes her eyes and opens her mouth to receive the only bread and the only food that satisfies we will experience her need and her trust as we give counsel and spiritual direction, seeking to offer a word of life and begging the Holy Spirit to fill us with the words that this person needs now. Not simply rattling off something we read in moral or pastoral theology years ago in the seminary, but applying that great and perennial wisdom to you here and now. We discover in the encounter with our bride that the generativity, the fatherhood that we so-called gave up in marriage and family life is a thousand times more real. Indeed, we did give up a certain kind of earthly bride, but we took one much, much more beautiful. And indeed, we did give over the capacity to bear children of our own, maybe up to 12, even 15 but we took on thousands upon thousands upon thousands, many of whom we will not see or will not meet until we meet our end. This then brings us to the heart of the priesthood, a sacrament of sacrifice indeed. A good fighter would make a good priest. A sacrament of communion indeed. A good husband and father would make a good priest. But a sacrament of presence, is what each man seeks and each man experiences in his call to the priesthood. Christ in the most blessed sacrament is alive. The Holy Eucharist is something, I give that to you, but the Holy Eucharist is fundamentally someone. And only the love of another can capture our hearts. We do not fall in love so much with things and with places as we do with people. 
And it is this person here, illumined by the red burning vigil lamp that has captured the heart of every priest, conforming us to his and making us like him. Is it not true that when we have a demonstrable love, that is a love that can be proven through action, it becomes easier to show who we are? It is, however, when a love is hidden, unseen, unseen by the eyes of men and seen only to the eyes of God, that the difficult love kicks in and we find out who we really are. There are many kind of demonstrable loves in the spiritual life of the priest. You would and you should expect your priest to offer the holy sacrifice of the altar day in and day out, if we feel good or if we don't, no matter what our mood or lack thereof, and we offer the holy sacrifice for souls. You should expect us to have our bravery in our hand eight times throughout the day, praying the prayer of the church, our bride, which anticipates the Mass, centers upon the Mass, and flows from the Mass. This, too, is a kind of demonstrable love. You should expect us to be thoroughly Marian priests, never without the presence of the scapular or the rosary, telling our beads and staying close to the Immaculate Heart so that our hearts can become like the Eucharistic heart of Christ our Lord. But there are deeper expectations that you do not know because you cannot give. There are deeper exigencies that you cannot intuit because it is communicated to us through that delective love of Jesus. These are the hidden moments and hours that we spend in this dark church or other churches with our Lord's Eucharistic presence. There is no way to give him to you unless we spend copious amounts of time with the one that you need. In our times of adoration, our times of interiority, we realize a very, very humbling truth that when you come to us, it is not us that you want. When you come to us, it is not us that you seek. When you come to us, it is Jesus that you want. When you come to us, it is Jesus that you seek. And unless we are willing to absolutely disappear from the oblative flame of his divine love, then we will be writing you bad checks. The more time we spend with him, the more our thoughts turn to him, the more our hearts are burned away in his Eucharistic fire. Then, and only then, will you have him. It is not us you need. It is what we seek and whom you seek that you need. You seek the Deus Absconditus, the hidden God, which is made known in the fires of the interior life in a most unique way in the life of the priest, because we stand in his person. The Deus Absconditus, the hidden God, must help us to be hidden in Christ so that we might disappear and you have the salvation that you rightfully seek. To every key question, my dear brothers and sisters, the Church humbly offers an answer. We are beset in a time of ecclesial strife that has hardly been seen in the 2,000-year history of the Church. We could be myopic as we turn to the needs of our bride, of your mother, and we can say, Lord, we've never been here. What do we do now? But if we can simply take one step back and see the Church as a wonderful whole, a tripartite gift given to us as the Church militant, the Church glorified, and the Church suffering, we recognize that the answers have already been given. We only need to live them. Indeed, to every key question the Church offers an answer. 
And so what is the answer to the problems besetting our church today? Quite simply, for all of us, but especially for priests, the answer is Eucharistic amazement. To fall in love with the Most Blessed Sacrament, to stay in love, and to live this love, giving no quarter to the powers of the world, so as to give no resistance to the power of God. This is the life of Jesus in the Eucharist, and it is the life of every Eucharistic priest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sponsored by St. Joseph Morello Parish in Granite Bay, California, and St. Mel Parish in Fair Oaks, California. Learn more at CatholicVeritas.com.